Hello and welcome to Jiu-Jitsu Red to Blue. I'm Tish Jerkin, and this episode is a summertime short. Not a fully formed counter-argument to MAGA, but just an easy breezy stroll down this week's stretch of political beach. In this connection, I find myself bumping into two very unlike political objects, which have, by sheer coincidence, recently bumped into each other. Glenda Jackson and the Republican Study Committee. Glenda Jackson was, of course, the great British actress and fire-breathing labor politician who died on June 15th at age 87, just a few weeks after completing work on what turned out to be her last film. The Republican Study Committee is proudly and accurately billed as the largest conservative caucus in the U.S. House of Representatives. It boasts some 175 members, or more than three-quarters of the House GOP, in its ranks. On June 14th, the RSC released its budget proposal for the fiscal year 2024. It's a blueprint for, as Representative Bob Good put it, balancing the federal government's budget in seven years, funding construction for the border wall, and defunding the left's woke agenda. One could debate the fiscal wisdom of some of the document's ideas as they relate to reducing the amount of red ink our country certainly is swimming in, but since they come along with the call to make permanent the Trump tax cuts, which would drown us in arrears, one really should not bother. These people are not serious about cutting the debt. They are serious, though, about cutting lots of other things. As was widely reported in the wake of the proposal's issuance, one such thing is school lunches for low-income and not-so-low-income children. During the pandemic, federal funding for school lunch programs expanded, largely as a result of which the Census Bureau surmised food insecurity in our country fell by some 7%. As a result of this, among other benefits they've seen, such as reducing the administrative cost of figuring out who does and does not qualify for the program and removing the stigma that can attach to the children who do, a number of states have moved to relax the eligibility requirements and just go ahead and feed more kids. Now, I must admit, to me, that makes all the sense in the world. In my view, the big problem with school lunches in America is that they largely consist of garbage generated from the over-subsidizing of corn products that end up contributing to our national plagues of diabetes, obesity, and other problems, and thus, where hungry children are concerned, fall strictly into the category of not great, but better than nothing. I strongly believe that if the government were to go ahead and furnish every American child with a truly nutritious breakfast, lunch, and snack every day of every school year, the benefits in attention and behavior and learning and long-term public health savings would make that one of the smartest and most cost-effective things the government ever did. But clearly, my dream is the RSC's nightmare. Their main impulse towards school lunches is, as a Heritage Foundation analyst put it, to keep their availability from, quote, ballooning into a federal food entitlement for every child, regardless of need. What does the death of a lefty British actress have to do with a very much alive and kicking wing of the American GOP? Here's what. Glenda Jackson came from an enormously poor family. Bricklayer father, barmaid mother, plumbing outside the house. During the war, they couldn't afford chewing gum, so they sucked on candles the whole nine yards. Leaving school at age 15, she went to work in a pharmacy, but at the urging of a friend, joined a local theater group for fun. Sometime after that, an adult told her that she had talent and should try to act professionally. Having ever heard of only one acting school, she applied to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art and got in. But coming from such poverty, without even the money to move to London, let alone live and study there, how did she manage to attend? 
Glenda got a grant from her local county council. That's right. High school dropout seeking to study for an impractical, economically non-essential, artsy profession in which she was highly unlikely ever to make a living, let alone to repay that money or generate future revenues for the public coffers, she got a chunk of change from the taxpayer. In short, in 1954, young Glenda Jackson got a government handout. Now, if you ask the people like those on the Republican Study Committee, no able-bodied person should get a government handout. A healthy young person who is capable of working full-time in a pharmacy should keep right on doing that. And if she wants to do something else, she should scrimp and save and rely upon her individual wit and luck and pluck to find a way, a way that does not involve government Pell Grants or food stamps or housing subsidies or funding toward the cost of watching her child if she has one. And this line of thought, according to those who think it, is not only a matter of what the state can afford or what's fair to the taxpayer being asked to support this person, it's a question of what is best for her. Because they fear, or at least say they fear, to give her money is to rob her of many more important things, her drive, her initiative, her hunger. Ah, hunger. For people like those on the Republican Study Committee, there is a direct and positive relationship between sheer physical hunger and hunger of more edifying kinds. To them, too many children must not get too many free lunches because then they will get the idea that there is such a thing as a free lunch and that the world is going to owe it to them forever. Therefore, to spare children their hunger for food is to deny them their hunger to learn, and worse yet, their hunger to earn. Which brings me back to good old Glenda. What happened to Glenda Jackson after she got her government handout? Did she go through RADA and then sit around on her backside waiting for somebody to come along with her next easy break? No. She spent a few years scrounging and scrapping for parts in theaters where she also sometimes slept. But in the fullness of time, she won two Academy Awards, three Emmy Awards, and a Tony. When Glenda began to age and the quality of the parts she was offered started to decline, she did retire early. But not to a golf course or a barco lounger. She ran for Parliament, where she proceeded to spend two decades spitting fire at the Tories and her own party leader, Tony Blair. Many people had many objections to political Glenda, but no one ever accused her of being lazy. Then, approaching her ninth decade, she stood down from Parliament and returned to the stage, to Shakespeare, and not to play one of the weird sisters in Macbeth or Juliet's nurse, either. Glenda Jackson took on Lear. Now, to cast the part of King Lear is to wrestle with a built-in irony. The part combines the title character's great age with his greater rage. Thus, almost everyone who is old enough to be able to play Lear convincingly is too old to be able to play him at all. Many great actors took the role in their 40s and 50s, one or two in their 60s. Glenda Jackson did it in London at 80 and then in New York at 82. I had the immense good fortune to see her in that play, and I can see her still. Sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. But sharper than that is the memory of a performance of such fire, such force, such ferocity. A performance she gave over five acts and three hours 
eight times a week. If you think public assistance breeds personal sloth, give that routine a try and get back to me. Of course, you don't have to cross the Atlantic or search out celebrities to find examples of people who have led lives of great energy, industry, and philanthropy because of and not despite the fact of having received some form of government support along the way. My own husband, for one, spent years of his childhood on welfare and got his first job through CETA, the Comprehensive Employment Training Act. More than 40 years later, he thinks a 60-hour work week is a vacation. There are rivers of anecdote, mountains of data, to refute the whole GOP notion so apparent in the letter and spirit of that Republican Study Committee budget that when the government funds the rich, it spurs the American people. But when the government funds the poor, it only spoils them. Still, I love the example of Glenda Jackson, the smack and symmetry of the rebuke she was and is to the strict constructionist approach to human compassion. I think her life and career are as powerfully damning of skimping on the poor for their own good as Lear was powerfully damning of his daughters. Think of her at 80-plus, not so much treading the boards as pounding them, ranting, raving, railing against the passage of time and the ebbing of power, and in the very act of doing so, ranting, raving, and railing against the cruelty, the snobbery, the stupidity of the idea that to help a person in need is to make that person a sponge when it is more likely to make her a functional citizen and might just make her a star. Thanks for listening. Tune in for more of Jiu-Jitsu Red to Blue. New episodes drop every Thursday morning.